Welcome to promise number three in our series, The Promises of God. So we've been learning that there are some 8,000 promises in the Bible, right? 365 of these promises, of that 8,000, are made by God himself to you. Promises God wants you to claim. Now, because of time, there's no way that we could study all 365 promises, but we are studying what we're calling in this series God's Great and Precious Seven. And this morning, we come to the promise of God's provision. All the promises start with the letter P. And this morning, the promise of God's provision. Now, I'll never forget the first time that I personally experienced the promise of God's provision. Uh, I was just 10 years old at the time. As a kid, you just have to know that I, as a kid, I was a blessing, but I was also a challenge. Are you following me? I was a blessing because when I woke up in the morning, I left and you never saw me the entire day because I lived outside, played outside, but then I was a challenge because I would eventually come home. And when I came home, I was always dirty. See, I was so dirty as a kid, I knew it. You gotta think about that. Most kids don't know they're dirty. I'm sitting in class as a 10-year-old going, man, you are dirty. But then I would think, but in 10 minutes, I, go, I get to go out and play, it's recess. Who cares? Well, I remember one day my mom, she came to me on a Saturday, and she said, Mark, can you just this one time do me a favor and don't come back dirty? Because come back dirty means always doing laundry. My mom's always doing laundry. And I could see something in her eye, even as a 10-year-old, and I'm like, okay. So I went outside, it was a Saturday, and I'm, we grew up in San Ramon, I'm out in the fields, and I see these trenches, <sighs> dirt trenches. So after two hours of playing in these dirt trenches, I look at myself and I go, I am dirty. And I remember saying my first prayer. I said, dear God, can you make me clean? And here I am, on my miles away, I'm walking home, and I look to my left and I see this creek. And in this creek, there was this little kind of, I don't know, little slope down, little, you know, spillway, and it had water running down. And I'm thinking, what a cool slide. So after a half hour playing on that, okay, up and down, up and down, all of a sudden I get on the road, I'm coming back, you know, to go see mom, and I look down at my shoes and they're clean, I look at my pants, they're clean, I'm wet, but I'm clean! And I remember saying this, I remember saying, God, you made me clean. You answered my prayer. You provided. Now, imagine if you could live your life with the absolute confidence that God would always provide for you. Imagine if you could live your life that way. If you lived your life with the confidence that God always, would always provide for you, I bet, I bet you'd give more. I bet you'd uh, sleep more. I bet you'd laugh more. I bet you'd trust more. I bet you'd risk more. I bet you'd live more like God intends you to live. Let me ask you a question. What might you be missing out on now? Because if you're honest, deep down inside, maybe you've not learned yet how to claim the promise of God's provision. See, God wants us to learn to claim this promise. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is the God who what? Who provides, okay? And he wants us to learn to claim that promise. Now, let's ask and answer some questions this morning. 
about the promise of God's provision, and in the process, we're gonna learn from Scripture how to claim this great and precious promise. First of all, first question we're gonna ask is this. Where is the promise of God's provision found? Take your Bibles, turn to the book of Philippians. I want you to see this. It's on your outlines, but in Philippians chapter four, the promise of God's provision is all throughout the Bible, but especially is it noted in Philippians chapter four, verse 19, where Paul says this, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and my God will meet all your needs. That's called provision. According to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Wow. This last Friday, I had the privilege of uh, officiating at a very tender wedding. It was a wedding for a blended family. And so, husband and wife to be, they're exchanging vows, rings, and then all of a sudden there comes a moment where the groom steps out and addresses his daughter-to-be, he would also present her with a ring. But then he presented her with these vows. And I'm telling you, everyone was crying. This little girl was beaming. She didn't know what was gonna happen, eight-year-old. And he said this to her. He said, I promise, among other things, looking right at her eyes, he said, I promise to provide for you. Right here, Philippians 4.19 is where God makes the vow, the promise to provide for you. Some of you have maybe heard that before, but you've never claimed it. It's a great and precious promise. And I want to encourage you to memorize this promise. The first step to claiming a promise is to memorize it. And we could personalize this. You could put your name in the promise. And my God, will meet all of Guillermo's needs. Put your name there according to his riches in glory. This is God vowing to you, promising to you that he's gonna provide for you. Now, let's go to the next question. What does the promise of God's provision mean? Very simply, it means this. God will provide for you. He is gonna meet your needs. And he's always gonna provide for you. You don't have to worry about your needs being met. Now, let me make three observations about God's promise to provide. As noted here, right in verse 19, the first is this. God promises to be the source of your provision. Do you see that there in verse 19? And my God will meet. Now, if Paul said, and Barnabas promises to meet, Barnabas was a friend of Paul, you'd go, well, wait a minute. What is Barnabas's net worth? What does he have? What does he own? But no, no, no. The, the source of this promise to deliver, to meet our needs, is God. And his resources are endless, right? The second thing I see is that God promises to meet all our needs, not just some of our needs. Do you see that in verse 19? And my God will meet all your needs. Wow. Now, you have to notice something here. The Bible does not say, and God does not promise to meet all our needs wants, but our needs, oh, our wants get us into all sorts of trouble. Hey, man, remember when you, you, you we're, like, we're like kids, you know, to God. Remember your kids? But I want to play in the freeway. 
why can't I play in the freeway? It's wide, and you know, you're so mean. You know, this is, this is us right now. God does not promise to meet our wants. They'll get us into all sorts of trouble, but he promises to meet our needs. Next thing I see is this, God promises to provide our needs according to his glorious riches. That's what it says. My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches. And that means that that provision is limitless, never ending. You know, God's never gonna say, oh, bummer, dude, I, I just ran out of that. No, it's limitless. Now watch this, watch this. It's one thing to believe the truth that God provides. I, I, I seriously doubt you'd be here this morning. I don't think there's anyone here who does not believe the truth that God is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. It's a completely different thing, though, to claim the promise of his provision and begin to live with the benefits associated with that. What's the difference? There are so many Christians who believe truths about God. That's up here. But claiming a promise goes 18 inches down here. And some of you are living without the benefits associated to the provision of God because you are not claiming the promise of God's provision. Why? Maybe you've never been taught. That's why we're doing this series. This series is all about claiming God's promises, not believing in them. Of course you're believing them. This is about going way deeper than that. Learning to claim. How do I claim the promise of God's provision? Five ways the Bible teaches. Number one, it starts by claiming the astounding spiritual provision you already possess. You see, you already possess something so much of provision, but some of us aren't even claiming that. Look at Philippians 4.19 again. We're gonna be here. Keep your Bible open here. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches. What does it say? In what? Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus is a phrase that's, watch this, only used for Christians. Paul pens it. It's all throughout his letters. In Christ Jesus. When you are in Christ Jesus, watch this, you are rich spiritually. So rich spiritually, it's unbelievable. Your spiritual wealth is beyond comprehension. You say, what do you mean by that? Give me just a taste of that, Mark. Okay, take your Bible. Turn back one book to the book of Ephesians, one of my favorite books in the Bible. And unfortunately, this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible, and it is very difficult for me to read it and not preach it. But I'm gonna try to use self-control here. I get so excited about Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, and, and the only way I can not preach it is by reading it and just saying this. As I read it, I want you to see if you can count how many spiritual blessings you can hear as I read this passage. Paul begins. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, why are you praising God so much? Well, he's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. This is your spiritual wealth as a Christian. You already possess this in Christ. Now, see if you can count how many blessings there are, and I'll try to control myself. For he chose us. I get so excited about that right there. He, remember as a kid, you, they'd line you up to choose teams? Do you realize that God, if you're in Christ, chose you to be on his team? That's how rich you are. 
That's just one. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. I wish I could preach on holiness and blamelessness. In his sight, in love, he predestined us. I wish I could preach on predestination. And adopted us, ah, oh, as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure of his will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption. Wish I could preach. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. This is how rich you are. This is God's provision for you spiritually already. The riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding, and he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with his purpose the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession to the praise of his glorious glory. There are at least 15 blessings spiritually that you possess right now. You're chosen, you're holy, you're blameless, you're loved, you're predestined, you're adopted, you're sons and daughters, you're redeemed, you're forgiven, you have wisdom, knowledge, purpose, sealed, and inheritance, and guess what? You are to the praise of God's glory. That's just Ephesians chapter one, verses three through 14. What's the point? The point is this. You and I need to claim that the greatest provision in life, which is spiritual and eternal, has already been provided for you. Some of you are going around going, well, what do I have? You are so rich, but you're not claiming your spiritual richness, and you need to. Imagine a choice right now. Imagine someone giving you the choice, $10 million on this hand, Jesus Christ on this hand, make a choice. I would take Jesus Christ 100 billion times over $10 million any day the richness here. What does the Bible say? Luke 9, 25. What good is it, is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very soul? And then 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know, this is something you can know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, right? On a cross. So that you through his poverty might become rich. You are rich spiritually. How do we claim the promise of God's provision? It starts when in your heart, I'm not talking about in your head, when in your heart you claim the astounding spiritual provision you already possess, and you stop going around only looking at material things. You are so rich. God has provided spiritually. It's your greatest need. You're going to heaven, and with it comes everything else. Now, here's a discussion question. Why is it so easy for us to forget how spiritually rich we are and why is it important that we remember? Wow, you're gonna have to talk fast. At your tables, go for it, you got one minute. Okay, let's look at the second way to claim the promise of God's provision. We have to first of all claim how spiritually wealthy we are, but second is this, claim the amazing material provision God's already granted you. You see, not only are we wealthy spiritually, but we are wealthy materially. And by the way, 1 Chronicles 29, 14, I put it on your outline. 
the Bible says this, everything comes from you, that's from God, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Everything you have comes from God. Uh, everything the Bible says comes from the hand of God. Picture, look, look at me for a second. Picture this as the hand of God. You see, all that you have comes from him. Your house has come from God's hand. Your car, your clothes, your food, your shoes, your family, your lawn, your shower, your makeup, your TV, your stereo, your Bible, your wallet, your purse, your sports equipment, everything you have comes from God. Now, you may go through life depriving yourself because you're never claiming that truth. Sorry, but that is the truth. How do you claim the promise of God's provision? Realize everything you have materially comes from God. Yes, he has provided and is providing. And he's given us so much. This is our problem. We tend to see what we don't have because we are always comparing ourselves with others around us who have more or things on the TV that show more, and we fail to see the absolute abundance that God has already given us. So allow me for just a moment to point out just how filthy rich every single person in this room is. Just give you a couple stats. The United States has 6% only of the total Christian population on the globe. But of that 6% population in which you are part of, we own 95% of the world's wealth. You are so rich, it's unbelievable. Three billion people, that's almost half the planet's population they live on $3 or less a day. The average American lives on $105 per day. The average homeless person who panhandles, they live on $100 a day. We are wealthy beyond comprehension. It's unbelievable. Andy Stanley in his book, How to Be Rich. It's not about how to become rich, no, no. The premise is we are so rich as Americans, but we don't know how to be rich. And I just want to read a couple things here that he writes that are very eye-opening. The truth is, we're all rich. No matter where you stand on the economy, we live in the richest time of the richest nation in history. In fact, if you can read this, you're automatically rich by global standards. And it's not just because you can read and have access to books, but because you've been given the individual freedom to do so, not to mention the time to read a book. And this certainly is, hasn't been the case throughout all history. For example, in our Western culture today, we observe a five-day work week, right? Think about what that means. Most people have to work only five days in order to have seven days worth of food, shelter, and clothing and healthcare. We take it for granted, but that's absolutely unique to our little window of history, and it's still not the case everywhere. I mean, for example, go to Cambodia with me on a missions trip. They know nothing of a five-day work week. They work seven days a week. They, the, the, there is no word to describe vacation in Cambodia. Most people work seven days a week. Vacation, what is that? We are so wealthy. 
What's more, he says, our households of three or four or more people, they send only one person out into the workplace to earn money. And with that one person's earnings, the entire family can amass enough money in five days to give them food and shelter for seven days. In many cultures, that's absolutely inconceivable. Everyone works. When you're a little boy, a little girl, you're out working. We are so wealthy. If I told you I was offering you a job with a salary of 37000 a year, would you feel rich? Probably not. Chances are you wouldn't even be interested. A salary of 37000 would represent a pay cut for most Americans. But for 96% of the world's population, 37000 a year would be a significant increase. You see, if you earn more than 37000 a year, and I would say that's virtually almost everyone here, you're in the top 4% of wage earners in the world. You're in the top 4% in the world. That's how wealthy you are. Bad cell phone coverage? That's a rich people problem. Can't decide where to go on vacation? Rich people problem. Computer crash, slow internet, car trouble, flight delays, Amazon doesn't have your size? Rich people problem. Isn't that amazing? We just don't think that way. And then this is what he says. He says, the biggest challenge facing rich people is they've lost their ability to recognize they're rich. We've lost our ability. Wow. How do we claim the promise of God's provision? Claim the amazing material provision God's already granted you. Now, here's the discussion for you to talk about later on your drive home. Why is it so easy for us to forget how materially rich we are? And why is it important for us to remember? Third way, to claim the promise of God's provision. Claim the astounding spiritual blessings you already have. Claim the amazing material provision God's already given you. Third, claim God's track record in providing for nature and for you. Think about nature. Thousands of years, God provides. Think about you, how God has provided for you over the years. Now watch this. God knew all of us would be tempted to worry about God's provision for our life. So God has given us, I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but he's given us a living illustration to look at every day to remind us of his provision. Go to Matthew chapter six, and let's just consider this for a second. Some of us need to look at our world differently and start claiming the promise of God's provision, and this will help. Matthew chapter six, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this in verse 25. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? And then Jesus says this, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. I mean, do you see them, you know, freaking out? I gotta store away for next month. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about, the clo- about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? Have you ever seen a flower and just seen it? Wow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow and thrown in the fire, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you have little faith, so do not worry. So the next time you're tempted to worry because you're like going, oh, I just don't know if God's gonna provide. 
Would you just look up and look around you at creation, look at the birds, look at the grass and the flowers and remind yourself, God values me so much more than all this stuff and look how he, how he provides for all that stuff. How do we claim the promise of God's provision? Think about how faithful God is to creation and also to you over the years. I mean, you're here today, right? Why? Because God has provided for you. <laughs> you're, you're here today because of his promise to provide. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. Remember, God doesn't promise to meet our wants, but our needs. And would you just take a moment and think about over the years how God has provided for your needs. When you were a little kid, think about how God's provided for you. When you were a teenager, how God provided then. When you were those college years, God provided. Young family, older family, kids finally out of the house, God's really providing for you now. Wherever you're at in life right now. Isn't that amazing? How do we claim the promise of God's provision? Claim God's track record in providing for nature and for you. Fourth way to claim the promise of God's provision, claim the importance, watch this, of humbling yourself to receive God's provision. Now, this is a big one, and the Bible says a lot about this. You see, God promises to provide for our needs, but watch this. But the way God provides for our needs is sometimes linked, watch this, to humility and prayer. And I want to tell you a couple stories. Take your Bibles and go all the way back to the Old Testament. Go to 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. So there you go. I want you to see something here. 2 Kings chapter 5. This is a very interesting story we've got. A guy named Naaman. The point is very profound. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. Now, Aram was north of Israel, a nation, and this guy Naaman is commander of an army. And he was a great man in the sight of his master. The master is the king of Aram and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. He had a need. This is his need. Naaman, commander, has leprosy, skin disease. Verse 2. Now, bands from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served uh, Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria. Now, that was Elisha. And he would cure him of his leprosy. Well, Naaman uh, went to his master, that's the king of Aram, and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him you know, 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter he took with him to the king of Israel read, with this letter I'm sending you my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. <laughs> as soon as the king of Israel read this letter, he tore his robes and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me? I mean, how am I gonna cure someone? Well, Elisha the prophet gets word of this dilemma, and the man of God, when he heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent his me this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots 
just picture this, and stopped at the door of Elisha's house there in Samaria. If you went with me to Israel, we were in Samaria. And Elisha sent a messenger to him. Now notice, Elisha sends a servant outside. Elisha knows about this guy. God, and Elisha and God are gonna teach this guy uh, you know, a, a, a lesson. So he just sends out a little servant, and the servant says to Naaman, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would at least surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord as God. You know, some great prophet would come out and wave over me and, 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 and over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Parpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters in Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went away in rage. Naaman had a pride problem. Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would not you have done it? How much more than if he tells you to do something small, like wash and be cleansed? And that kind of connected with Naaman. He humbled himself. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored. He became clean like that of a young body. Watch this. Some of us here have pride problems. God has promised to meet your needs. He's Jehovah Jireh, the God who wants to provide. But there are times we have a need and God promised to meet our needs, but the way for that need to be met is the way of humility. So my question to you is this, is pride keeping you from experiencing God meeting your need? Only you can answer that. Only Naaman could answer that. Give you another story. Move forward a little bit, 2 Kings chapter 20. Here we have a different story but related to this whole issue of humility, there's a whole area of prayer, and we've got a king here. His name is Hezekiah. In those days, Hezekiah became ill, and he's at the point of death. And the prophet Isaiah, he went to him and said, this is what the Lord says. Put your house in order. Guess what? You're gonna die. Well, that, that's a bummer. Hezekiah, however, watch this. Now, Hezekiah just could have gotten angry, but it says that Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. He humbled himself. Remember, O Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. Isn't that great? When we humble ourselves, when we pray, God hears our prayer and he even sees our tears. I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life. There are times we have a need. God promises to meet our need because he's Jehovah Jireh, but the way that need is gonna be met is through prayer. Question, is prayerlessness keeping you from experiencing God meeting your need? James chapter four, verse two says, you do not have because you do not ask God. Tracy and I, years ago, when we were young in our marriage, just first few years of our marriage, we just came into a situation financially. We were just in a spot we never imagined. And I remember it was very humbling for me as the breadwinner, the manager, so to speak. And I remember taking our budget on our bed, holding hands, and saying, God, we come to you with this need. And it was several thousand dollars. We needed. 
We, we gave this to the God. That next week, a check out of nowhere for the exact amount of mean, uh, uh, exact amount shows up. God promises to meet our needs, but sometimes the way for that need to be met is the way of humility. It's prayer. We do not have because we don't ask God. And when we ask, we ask with the wrong motives. Wow. How do we claim the promise of God? Claim the importance of humbling yourself to receive God's provision. Now watch this. God answers every prayer that we pray according to his will, for his glory, and according to our needs. Sometimes God's answer is yes, that's a need, and answering your prayer is my will and it will bring me glory. Sometimes God says, no, that's not a need. It's not my will and it won't bring me glory. Other times God says, wait, that's not a need yet. Be patient. How do we claim the promise of God's provision? Claim the importance of humbling yourself to receive God's provision. Now, I think there are a lot of stories around our table, so I'm gonna give you just a minute on this one. Can you share about a time you humbled yourself and experienced the promise of God's provision. Talk about that. Okay, let me give you the fifth way. Fifth way to claim the promise of God's provision. It's this. Claim the provision of Christ's strength to face any circumstance. I want you to imagine any circumstance that you could potentially face in life. Prison, divorce, bankruptcy, cancer, being kidnapped. I mean, extreme circumstances that you could potentially face. Do you know what God promises to provide for you even in those circumstances, any circumstance you could face? Part of his promise to provide is he promises to give you strength. Look at Philippians 4, 11 through 13. It's amazing. Paul says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or want. Then he, this is the whole point. I can do everything through him who gives me what? Strength. Wow. How do we claim the promise of God's provision? Claim the provision of Christ's strength to face any situation. I don't know if you've read the book. I ordered a lot of copies for our bookstore, The Heavenly Man. The Heavenly Man is a story of a very humble Chinese pastor. It's, and his name is Yoon. Uh, it's the story of his arrest, his brutal persecution by Chinese authorities, and his miraculous escape. And Tracy and I had the opportunity uh, to take Yoon out to lunch here a few years back. I've spent a few times with him over the years. I travel a lot to China. And it was a fascinating conversation. By the way, who wants this book? Okay, first, come on up here. Saw you in the back, right there. Here we go. Nope. Here, here it is. Ready? Don, pass it right back. There you go. Right, it's to Rick. Rick was the first guy. See, God provides not only your needs, but your wants. No, 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 right here. Rick, 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 Rick. There you go. Give him a hand, give him a hand, give him a hand. So we're having lunch with the heavenly man, 
And I, I had a question I've been wanting, because I read the book, and I'm like, I can't wait to ask him this question among many. And my question was this. How do you reconcile the promise of Philippians 4, 19, that God will meet all of your needs according to his riches and glory with the experience you had in prison where you were tortured like the way you were? I read this, his book thinking about this promise the whole time. Going, How? And this is what Yoon said to me. He looked at me, he goes, well, he said, my need was for food and God gave me all the bread I needed. He said, my need in prison was for water and God gave me all the water I needed. And then he said, my need in prison was for strength and God's strength was more than I could ever imagine. He said, actually, and tears were flowing, he said, the one thing I miss about prison is the strength of God in my moment of weakness and need. It's called the fellowship of his sufferings. I was like, wow. How do you claim the promise of God's provision? Claim the provision of Christ's strength to face any circumstance. Five ways to claim the promise of God's provision. You see, your God, your heavenly father, is like a husband, a daddy, who looks down at you as your son or daughter and says, I promise to provide for you. And the way we claim that promise is by claiming the astounding spiritual provision we already have. You've got to claim what you already have. And we've got to claim the amazing material provision we already possess. And we've got to start claiming and recognizing God's track record and providing for nature, the birds, and for us over the years, and claiming the importance of humbling ourselves to receive God's provision through prayer and through humbling ourselves, and then claim the provision of Christ's strength to face any circumstance. Now, here's a discussion question I want you just to think about because we're running out of time. Of the five ways to claim God's provision, which one do you most need to embrace? I want you to discuss that as you drive home today. If you're watching this on video, you can just hit pause and talk about that right now. Here's the final question, which is very important. What's the primary benefit given to the person who claims the promise of God's provision? In other words, if you learn to claim the promise of God's provision, like we, we just talked, how will you benefit? You know how you're gonna benefit? One word, contentment is gonna flood your soul. Serenity, ease, peace. Some of you, your emotional state is the opposite of that. You are worrying, you're torn up with anxiety, you have ulcers because you've not yet learned to claim the promise of God's provision. But when you do so, the peace of God. You see, look at this. The Apostle Paul, think about this. He's writing about this promise when in jail. In jail. And do you see what he says? He says, I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstance. How did he learn to be content? There's only one answer. He learned to claim the promise of God's provision. 
Here I am in jail, God, but you've been faithful. You're faithful to me spiritually, to nature. He's going through the, and guess what? I can trust you to be faithful and provide for me here. How did you and the heavenly man have so much contentment? They're in a Chinese prison because God, you're gonna provide for me here? And there's rest. Oh, what a beautiful blessing. Contentment. And then Paul would write and say, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. See, God wants to pour upon our lives contentment, but for that to happen, we have to claim the promise of his provision. So let me ask you a question that I asked you at the beginning. What would your life be like right now if you lived with the absolute confidence that God would always provide for you? If you lived with the absolute confidence that God would always provide for you, I would submit to you, you would give more, you would sleep more, you would laugh more, you would trust more, you would risk more, you would live more. That spells contentment. Because you have learned to claim the promise of God's provision. Not to meet your wants, but your needs. And with that, you are content. It's beautiful to meet someone who's content. Too many Americans live uncontented lives. Wouldn't you agree with that? But let that not be said of us. Contentment comes to the person who claims the promise of God's provision. Amen? Let's pray.